0: Welcome back to the World Extreme Medicine Podcast with myself, Owen Walker. In this episode, I'm talking with Carl Betts on critical analysis causing critical mental health. Carl is no stranger to the podcast and we've had him on quite recently. And we're gonna be talking about his reflections on critical analysis within paramedic practice. So Carl is a paramedic and quality improvement fellow based in Sheffield working for the ambulance service. Khan has been a paramedic for 10 years now, and also has a 10 year extensive history of expeditions featuring multiple trips to every space Camp, K2, Mongolia, South Africa, Swaziland, Aconcagua, and many more. So he's recently written a piece of reflection that's about to be published in the College of Paramedics Insight magazine, titled, Where Critical Analysis Becomes Critically Unhealthy. So in this episode, we thought we'd examine this article, Carl's motivations for writing it, and pull out some of the salient learning points. It's also worth noting that there are some brief dips in the audio during the discussion, but we thought the content is so valuable that we should still go ahead and publish it. Okay, please enjoy the episode. Welcome to the podcast, Carl. Good evening, on. Nice to, uh, nice to see you again. So Carl, I guess if we could just start in the conversation by asking if you could just maybe unpack the synopsis for the article and, and why you wrote it in the first place.
1: Yeah, I basically t- decided to write it because uh, I was getting quite sad at work seeing really, really good, very knowledgeable, um, super keen clinicians who were just coming out of university having worked hard for three years to get to where they are, um, to start uh, what should be an absolutely amazing career, basically just start having huge burnout issues within the first two years, sometimes even shorter than the first two years. Um, And one thing what always seemed to strike at me was the fact that they're, constantly analysing themselves and constantly over analysing every fine detail of every incident and actually nitpicking all of the negatives and not actually looking for any of the positives at all and it was from having them discussions and having a discussion with one particular uh, member of staff who was really struggling that I thought I'm seeing patterns here and this needs to be spoken about because this seems to be an inherent problem. Um, so that was when I sat down and started writing it and started speaking to more people and then over the course of a couple of months produced what I've produced.
0: Absolutely. And and actually, you know, looking at the early or more formative years as a clinician, I think you ca- the, the self-narrative can be quite debasing and, and quite demeaning sometimes because you do take things very personally and you're right, if that's modelled by that's also modeled by mentors and by critical analysis from others it could i guess it could almost be multiplied to be honest which is you're right very dissuading in your formative years as a as a clinician maybe could you could you go on to maybe unpack why critical analysis is such an important skill to acquire as a clinician because it's not all negative i'm sure there is you know there's there's positive facets of critical analysis Uh, could you maybe speak to that
1: Yeah, so so critical analysis is key. It's absolutely key to improving your own clinical performance. However, the critical analysis that you do, it needs to be um, very ordered, and it needs to be very organized. And you don't need to do it all of the time for every job what you need to do is pick out the salient points that you can actually learn something from but also give yourself a pat on the back at the same time when you are critically analyzing your performance because actually within that job where things could have gone better or you could have done something different yet yeah, that's absolutely brilliant and that is hugely important and vital because if you don't look at them points you'll never learn However, we never look at the 10 steps before that were absolutely brilliant and the 10 steps after that, which were equally as brilliant. And putting that all together, you've done quite a good job, really. Um, all we do is, as a lot of human beings, we find the bit that actually, oh, well, that didn't go very well. That. I'm going to concentrate on that. And unless you actually put that bit to bed and comfortably deal with it, every time you open that that box of that incident, the first thing what pops out is not the 10 things that you did really well and the other things you did really well. It's the jack-in-the-box that pops up and goes, well, you didn't do that very well. And when you're self-critical, you will then be even more harsh on yourself because somebody may say... Well, yeah, there was no problem with it. It wasn't quite perfect, but we got the end result. There's no problem. But for you, who looks in yourself, the first thing you're going to think of, worst case scenario, well, I didn't do that at all, right, did I? Um, and that's where it becomes unhealthy. And I think the problem is, is a lot of these students seem to have it, ingrained, newly qualified paramedics seem to have it ingrained in the head to look for the negatives, when in fact I think there's a massive learning opportunity that we need to be teaching these these young people and newly qualified staff yes find the bits that didn't go quite well but don't dwell on them learn from them action them put it to bed move on so it doesn't happen again and we don't do that what we do is we just dwell and go around in circles and then you have another one so you dwell on that one then you have another one so you dwell on that one and then all you do is every time you think about any job it's negative and that's never healthy over time. And these people are starting at the very, the, the very forefront of their career, negative, because they're scared of the, they're scared of their HCPC. If you do that wrong, you'll be straight to HCP. Rubbish. That you know that doesn't happen. But in their heads, oh no, that's it. Investigations. Everybody is scared of. You know. Well, we shouldn't be scared of investigations if they're done properly, because they should be vital learning, positive experiences. Um. And that's why I think it's not critical analysis the problem, it's how critical analysis is utilised. And unless you've got a background and unless you've got um, some time served to be able to learn that skill, you really struggle with it. And sadly, with the demands of the services nowadays, people just aren't getting the time to actually put these things to bed, manage them, deal with them. They're just getting compounded, compounded, spent an awful lot of money to get there for us to lose a really good caring member of staff.
0: So. Uh- and there's a number of points actually you make there, which is really interesting, Carla. You know, the lack of affirmation, you know, the, the, the 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 focus on on critical analysis rather, which rather being overly critical rather than affirming good practice, which which has occurred. And I realised that certainly within my clinical practice, there, there was a lack of affirmation, even even when there was, but has been good practice, and or you know, in absence of mistakes that there wasn't necessarily people stepping up saying, look, I really liked the way you took control of that scene or that you communicated or that you did this or that. And I think that could be equally as important that that affirmation on the back end of, uh, of, uh, of a good, of something that's gone well as well. But Carl, could you speak to maybe some, uh, just to contextualize this? Because I think it's a really important point, actually, you're making. Could you maybe contextualise it within clinical practice and and maybe where, you, where and how you've seen it happen recently?
1: So I'm going to use myself as a case and example, and I'm an experienced paramedic. Um, I've been doing the job quite a few years now. I'm really comfortable in my own clinical practice. However, even when you're comfortable with it you sometimes need bringing back to the bringing back to where you need to be so i dealt with an incident a few weeks ago that was very well a few months ago it was very emotive really wasn't very nice um really stressful um with a traumatic uh, pediatric arrest so it was it was a, a a human factors nightmare job in terms of the stress levels that we have on ourselves and i um I made a a, a drug administration error in terms of a dosage. And after I'd noticed that I'd made that error, straight away, hand on heart, happy to say, yep, okay, I've made this error, we need to look into it, and handed that over to the nursing staff and also my clinical leaders and my clinical supervisors and staff. And actually, my clinical manager at that point said, yep, I understand that error's been made, however, that is an error that hasn't had any detrimental effect on this incident. You're clearly going to learn from it and there's things that you need to learn from it. However, I've just read the paperwork and you all did an absolutely amazing job. Now, having that conversation with him that brought everything right back to where I wanted it because yes, however, I'm happy with that now because I've now got some positive learning from the leadership team, but also I've had some real positive feedback to say, you guys did an amazing job in a horrendous situation because everything was against us. Um, And actually because I can now take that and I'm happy with it and I can put it in its box, I can put it in its file and I can put the filing cabinet away. Whenever people talk to me about that incident, when I open that drawer of the filing cabinet again, it doesn't burst open. I can happily talk about the fact that, you know what, I made an error on that job. And it's an error that many of us could possibly make because you're so focused, you're so um, focused in the moment. And with an arrest, we generally do it with adults. You're so focused and sometimes on autopilot. And therefore, if you're on autopilot, that's when an error can happen. Now, that was a really good experience for me because it came at the end of writing this piece. And what I was able to do was put myself in a newly qualified person's shoes on one incident and prove that actually, yes, you can learn from things when things don't quite go right, but you have to put you have to put it to bed and you have to manage it in any way, shape or form you can, not dwell on it. Now, if I hadn't have spoken to um, that senior leader and I hadn't openly said, you know what, I've made this error, uh, we need to talk about it. All I would have done was stewed on it and all I would have done was gone round it. And all I would have done was not think about the really good stuff that we'd done for, for, the, for that little that little kid. I'd have just concentrated on that one five second incident when actually the whole incident that lasted 35 minutes from jog coming into to, to, to a, a end of incident at the hospital, we don't look at that. Whereas, thankfully, I've now put it into um, perspective and have done. And that's what I'm trying to instill in the colleagues that I work with now.
0: That's really interesting. You speak to a, a lot of different concepts there, Carl, and around sort of mentally. And you speak in the in the piece around this as well about mentally filing away in, in an appropriate cabinet, sort of psychological cabinet, really, and in a in a cognitive space. And and you right, reframing the the piece so it's not seen in a negative light it's seen in a a positive and also a learning light uh, and way when you recall the 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 memory now i think you've you've really nicely illustrated how far it can go and how, how it can go too far within the critique whereby you just remember that five minute segment you don't remember a why you were there in the first place or b some of the really good stuff which 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 came about from that could you maybe speak to a how we can change the narrative from this negative framing of critical analysis in the debrief? because like you said, you know in a debrief, we can all sort of beat ourselves up about things that went wrong in a hot debrief. Um, but when you see that happening or when a clinician sees that happening in the moment, how can we, how can we change the narrative? How can we change the discourse so that, so that it starts to become more positive in, in that, that fundamental 10, 15 minutes afterwards where it's really fresh in everyone's mind?
1: I, I personally think it's a massive cultural thing. Um And I think, as times change, as cultures change, as attitudes change. So I class myself as having sort of quite a modern attitude to this sort of thing. I class myself as actually being sort of quite up there in terms of how we should be doing things and how I think we should be doing things. Cause there are times when things are done really badly. Um, and I've seen that We I've witnessed it and you sometimes just sit there and sort of cringe really to think actually that should never have happened like that, but that's the way it happened, and I think as times change and as we have discussions about these sorts of things, people's whole um, culture will change about the fact that it's good to talk about these things and it's good to talk about every aspect of it. Not just the not just the bad, not just the good, not just the ugly, just every every aspect of it. However, at the end of it, I think that we should always be framing it with a positive aspect because it's the last thing that you remember and therefore that last thing that you remember when you sort of open that box again needs to be the first thing that pops out and i think it's instrumental on the people who are running these debriefs they have to know what they're doing and they have to be modern thinking they have to be gone are the days of right you've done that wrong it's trouble 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 you know which th- that does still exist in in every organization um The quicker we can change this culture, the better. And I think it stems from universities. I think the only way we're going to change this is that the new paramedics who are coming through need to be educated in how to manage this healthy, how to manage themselves healthy, how to look after their own mental health. More importantly, how to look after their colleagues and what to be looking out for as well. And also how to chat about jobs, how to have functional debriefs, not just a Hey, mate. Well, that was a bit of a nightmare, wasn't it? You know, which is a you know that shake of the head around the back of the ambulance where you're red in your hands. Don't really help anybody that. Um, but actually having a functional debrief with a cup of tea and a biscuit because that fixes everything. Um. I think that's the way forward, but it has to come from an educational establishment. It has to come from the trusts to instill it, to remove this fear of owning up to making a mistake, to actually be proud of the fact, not that you've made a mistake, but be proud of the fact that you can say, just holding me hand up here. I've made this clinical error or this has just happened. We need to look into it. And I want it looked into because I don't want this to happen again. Um, and that is a total culture shift. The airline industry do it. The airline industry have been doing it for absolutely years and we're way behind them. And actually, yes, it's a different context, but very much an aspiration is what we should be doing. That It's a safe thing to say. We need to look at this just so we can all learn from it and we can all not make the mistake that I've made.
0: I think that's profound, actually, Carl. And, you know, you speak to this this mental filing cabinet um, to both store things away appropriately and and to look at and recall them appropriately now i think that's powerful i've I've done a lot of sessions recently on different cognitive therapies such as emdr therapy and cbt and one of the prevailing concepts is that there's a capsule um and the, the 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 misfiling of this capsule which is the the kinesthetic the auditory and the visual memory and if it's not filed away appropriately in the hippocampus where normal memories are, are, uh, are stored what, what it does is this capsule breaks and you know this is more in the context of ptsd but everything you're 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 talking about here is is because me and you've been there is when you when you, when you do just focus on the negatives this, it's almost this breaking of this kinesthetic of capsule where you you feel the emotion, you 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 you. You cringe or you tense up inside because you're right, you're focused on on the problems, on everything you did wrong in 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 that moment. And it's almost like not filing this this capsule away into the hippocampus, but just but it being in the, in the wrong place in your mind or not indeed having context. Could you maybe speak to because you do mention this filing cabinet quite quite profoundly in in the piece? And reorganizing this mental filing cabinet. Um, could you could you maybe speak to the filing cabinet in regards to not only emotive um, incidents, but the aggregation of incidents? Because I think it's it's through the aggregation of incidents sometimes that it, and, the, and the misappropriation of, of all these different incidents that can catch up with people sometimes when when they're not collectively stored away in the appropriate cognitive filing cabinet.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think you and I sort of sing off the same song sheet on on quite a lot of this stuff. And the filing cabinet for me is just, I, might, I like pictures. You know, when I'm doing studying, when I'm learning, I'm there doodling and I'm drawing pictures because that's how I enjoy taking things in. Um, so therefore, I'm quite a visual person and I enjoy the things that I can see in my head. Um. Now, for me, it is literally just a massive filing cabinet. My head is just a big, huge filing cabinet that takes in work stuff, personal stuff, you name it. It all goes in. Now, there's only so much that that filing cabinet can take if it's messy. And therefore, if it becomes really messy and totally out of control, you then become anxious, you then become scared. You've got no room to put anything else in. So basically what you're doing is standing on top of it, crushing it with your feet, trying to get as much of it in as you can. And what I try and do is I try and focus on jobs and I physically focus on them in a file. And that's how I mentally do it. I imagine that I've got this file, I've opened it up, I'm putting it in. And by the time I close it, that is in a lovely ordered, chaptered, basically it's got an index. I know where everything is and I put it away and it's fine. It's there. And when I need to open it again, I can open it and I'm not scared to open it because I'm not going to open it and see if something just bursts out and it's me in the face because I've took the time to actually put things in order. And if I can't put it in order, well, then... I get help to put it in order. And that's from colleagues, that's from senior leaders, you know, that's from people saying, on this job, if you had this, would you have done that? If they say no, well then, well, what would you have done? And what would you have done different? Right, okay, that makes perfect sense, that. Right, I didn't think of that because of X, Y, and Z. So maybe if I do X, Y, and Z, then I will think of that next time. And it's about doing something about it. And what people don't do is they don't do things about it. What they do is they come to work, they do another eight jobs. They don't order any of them because they're absolutely knackered by the time they get home and they've got another 12-hour shift tomorrow. They're late off by two hours because they've been sat at hospitals waiting to hand over patients. you know. And this is just a plethora of cyclic demise. And all they do is they just fill this filing cabinet ram-jam full with stuff sticking out the sides of it, scrumpled up, dog-eared, And actually, when they come to open anything, they're just like, there's no way I can organise any of that. I can't even find anything, let alone organise it. Um, And then that's when you end up in a massive tangle, because trying to decipher all of that, it may have been one job that's tipped you over or sent you in a negative spiral. However, if you've got 50 jobs before it that you've not actually sorted out, sorting that one job out is going to make absolutely zip zero difference, because you've got to get right to the bottom of this pile and start at the back. And that's something that I've learned, and it's something that I've learned to do. And I think it's something that if university students start doing it in their university days and organizing their filing cabinet all the time, so it becomes natural, ordered, everyday behavior, well, then when they come to be a clinician on their own when they come to be out on the ambulance on their own for the first remember my first few months on an ambulance I was petrified but at least you have some but currently I see a lot of newly qualified paramedics who and they Therefore, because they've got no toolbox, they don't even know where to start. And they've had three years at university now, three years to do something about it, and three years of placements, three years at hospitals doing their placements, and not a thing has been started on it. And I find that shocking. And I think that's where, and this is where this article got me going. And I was thinking, we've got to make sure that if we're not starting this from the very beginning of an educational pathway, they're already onto a loser.
0: So, Carl, you mentioned universities, educational providers and colleagues, which I think all are actually fundamental. And you're right, coming right back to the inception of education and, and that formative pathway. What are the implications in your mind for colleagues in different roles, such as in management and leadership to, to, to support this?
1: Firstly, I think it's got to be acknowledged. And I think that's that if you acknowledge something, you can do something about it. Um, but currently, I don't even think it's a state of play that's actually really talked about. Um, when I've spoken about this, nobody's spoken to me about it. It's only from my my thinking and my sort of spending time musing over the idea that I've come up with this. And it's, it's nothing groundbreaking. It's nothing fundamental. It's just this is an issue, and I think this is where the issue stems from. But unless you get acceptance from right the way through the ambulance service trust's, the universities other educational providers through the uh, students themselves and through the newly qualified paramedics themselves we're never going to get it changed um and i think it's going to go down the same line or i think it should go down the same line as the investigations um and the learning that comes from investigations not seen as a negative negative you're in trouble but right okay so this has happened we've got a we've got a a, a pathway that we utilize to learn from this, we all learn from it. And that now is starting very slowly, I might add, in many settings, but but is starting to hugely improve. But I think this is a part of it. Um, and I think the two naturally interlink together because if you're already in a slightly negative place and you end up with that letter that drops through your letterbox then you've been invited to a clinical case review or you've been invited to a, um, a, an incident meeting well then that's it your mind then goes a million mile an hour so if you've got no capacity left in your um, cabinet well, then you're not going to deal with that at all. So I think it's fundamentally for everybody, but I think the leadership teams have to accept there's an issue there in the first place. And when you're ringing paramedics up who are newly qualified, who've been in post six months, um, is everything okay? I noticed that you're off with a stress-related illness. You know, that's got to ring alarm bell, surely.
0: So there's some really important safety and learning points from that around, you right, the, not only positive reframing across the, across the spectrum, but also um, making sure that it's con- you're consistent over time, and you're you, you know it's consistently being practiced. Um, so, how would you? Advocate, or indeed within the piece, Carl, that you're right, how would you write, how would you how would you advocate sort of creating this positive mental mindset and overcoming this prevailing negative self critique? Because it is a, I think it, it, you're right in what you say, Carl. It's a self critique that does, that lasts longer than the debrief lasts, or lasts longer than the, the critical analysis lasts, because it's a, it's a, it's a, the it's a silent self critique which probably resounds within people's minds at 3 a.m. the next morning when they wake up or when they wake up for the next shift. And and actually what we want to do is is reverse that so there's a positive self-critique or positive self-talk. Um, how would you advocate doing that early on and, and getting that, that narrative going?
1: Personally speaking, everything around these subjects comes around discussion, comes around normalising subjects. Making it business as usual, everyday practice, instead of when we're chatting to mates about all the problems and all the jobs that we've been to, that you know this thing, this and this and this. Actually, just talk about actually we did this and you know it was really good. That I don't know whether you've considered doing that, but it's well worth looking at. I tried this piece of kit and it really worked in this manner. Uh, but problem problem is is we always talk about the we just always talk about the nasty bits of jobs and I don't know why we do it, but we do. Um, and and it's that whole reframing of clinical discussions that I think whenever we talk about things, it's the old, part, it's the old poo sandwich used in the old military term, isn't it? You know, you squash the, the squash the, the not so good bit in with two good bits and you make a really positive sandwich out of it, you know, that phrase has been around donkeys years. Um, but we don't do that. We don't sometimes finish the discussions on a positive. And I think that is the key thing. But for me, we've just got to talk about it. You've got to have these discussions. So it just becomes normal. Um, and currently we don't. And people are left to their own devices to worry about things and think about things. And we also have to remember that a lot of these newly qualified paramedics, they've moved away from home. They've had the university safety bubble for a couple of years because they've always got their mentor. But then they go out on a job, and potentially they've got a brand new ECA with them, which I think is, I think that's wrong in its own right. Um, but they've got nobody else. They go home to maybe as a one-bed house on their own because their family lives 200 miles away. And yes, you've got Zoom. Yes, you've got Microsoft Teams. Yes, you've got Facebook. Yes, you've got the other. But you're potentially still going home at midnight or two o'clock in the morning to an empty house where you're left with your own thoughts. And when you're embedded in work for 40 hours a week on normal time, plus your two hours end of shift, every shift overtime, so you're looking at sort of 50 odd hours a week, you know, doesn't give you a lot of free time to go out and actually re- to, 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 to have some downtime. And any downtime you've got may well be at stupid hours of the day when everybody else is in bed, when you're eating your lasagna at two o'clock in the morning, because that's your tea time. And you've just got yourself with your own thoughts. And I think there's a big thing around sort of loneliness around not being able to share things all the time. And I think that's another thing that's missed, because when they come out of university, that's it. boof. There you go. You're on it now, and then they've got to start forming their new relationships within a potentially a new station, potentially a new trust, potentially a new everything, um, and it just compounds a huge plethora of uh, of problems, really.
0: So, Carl, just looking at the sort of the final thoughts, really, around changing the the, the negative self critique. Any any salient take homes that you would uh, advocate?
1: So for me, it's if there's been a negative, an, a, a negative outcome from from part of an incident, a specific part. The question for me is, how will I not let that happen again? Because if I have the tools in place to make sure that that doesn't happen again, I don't need to worry about it, because I know that won't happen again. The problem is, is if you don't do anything about it, and you don't have that tool in your toolbox to actually be able to act on it, action it, do something about it well, then you're always going to have that worry that if this incident ever comes along again, you're going to make the same mistake again. So I think it's all about continual learning, which is the reflection, which is the critical analysis, but it's doing it in a healthy manner. And that's what this whole piece is about. Critically reflect, look at your practice, but make sure that you learn from the bits that need learning from and make sure you give yourself a big pat on the back when you've done really good things and make sure that they are the things that are really poignant in your memories Um, because once you reframe it, once you do that learning, once you're comfortable with your new knowledge, then share it, let others know about it because many people may well make the same mistake and by sharing it, you can see that you're making a positive impact to other people that makes you feel better and therefore That job in the filing cabinet, happy days, job done.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. It it absolutely is an essential narrative and an essential point. So thanks for joining me on the podcast today.
1: Thanks very much.